Polestar, accelerating the change to a fully electric, climate-neutral future. Dear audience, my name is Ludmila Der. I'm the Managing Director of Elite Experts Conferences and I would like to welcome you to the next episode of the Elite Experts Conferences podcast. Whether at live events or in the digital world, we bring together cool promising tech startups with exciting innovative global players and generate a platform where the world of sustainable technology meets. Get to know the different companies, but also the inspiring leader personalities behind these brand names. Our motto is towards a better and cleaner future through knowledge transfer and technology. We have today a very special episode because for the first time, a guest that was participating in one of our premium panels is invited right away for the next episode in a one-on-one -on -one interview. Let me welcome here Jörg Brandscheid as CTO at Polestar. Since our podcast episodes are also listened to independently, of course, I don't want to deprive our audience of a short introduction of Jörg's background. So Jörg, you worked for over 19 years at General Motors, starting as a project engineer and finishing in the role as head of GM powertrain electronic development. Afterwards, you moved on to the role as head of electronics development at Glass in agriculture machinery. In 2014, you joined Sherry Automobile in China, where you had the role as executive director engineering. Later in 2017, you started as VP Engineering, Powertrain, Drivetrain Electronics at Continental. After two years, you moved on to Hella as EVP Electronics and became a member of the executive board. In October 2021, you joined Polestar. And here we are, almost two years later. Our most recent premium panel, where you, York, participated, had the title innovation scouting and strategic partnerships in automotive industry. Well, today we will of course also address the topic of innovations and collaborations, but we will also try to cover quite a few other exciting contemporary topics in the automotive industry. So let's start. Okay, Jörg. We have a bit of history with Paul Starr in our podcast, because in our fourth episode, we had already Thomas Ingela, CEO at Paul Starr, as our guest. It was summer 2020, and we talked about Paul Starr 1, which still had a hybrid powertrain. And we talked about Paul Starr 2, which was then fully electric. And of course, we talked also about Paul Starr Precept. And at that time, and we all remember summer 2020, that was pandemic. And because of the pandemic, this concept car was just digitally presented. And it was just very, yeah, a few months before we had that interview. And at that time, that was it. Right? Meanwhile, we have Polestar 3 and we have Polestar 4 that are already in the media, especially since Polestar 4 had its premiere at the Shanghai Auto Show just a few weeks ago. And Jörg, could you please take us through the development of the product portfolio at Polestar and how does this journey continue when we look at the performance and electrification only, first of all? Yeah, sure. And yeah, let's let's start again. Pol Polestar 1, no? that was the opening 2017 with an exciting design, a car, a sports car, particular focused on power. On, on unique uh, design that was a kind of opener for brand awareness. And that was quite successful, was uh, really an eye-catcher. 
and to establish the new brand of Polestar. Polestar 2, a successful story, launched in 2021. Now, in the meantime, we have over 100,000 sales, a pure EV. And that was then the starting, starting point for the Polestar revision, let me say, new definition of the brand and 100% focus on, on EVs. Then Polestar 3, now launched in Copenhagen in October, the second EV car, now an SUV, with particular focus on design once again. It's an SUV with a little bit lower, but with a wider stance and also with an incredible roominess. You do not uh, see that when, when you are standing in front of the car, but when you are sitting inside, the whole interior design is tailored for that. It's a, it's a quite exciting user experience. And first time with a centralized EE architecture. That means we are prepared for the upcoming generations of autonomous driving and also with a kind of sensor availability, for example, with LiDAR. Polestar 4, as you said, now just launched in uh, Shanghai. was an incredible launch. I was personally there with standing ovations with the car. Then also once again, with a very nice design, but also with new technical features. Also from the interior, once again, some safety features has been in. Then mainly focusing on range in this time, range extension. So we're achieving more than 650 kilometer range with one battery cycle and power, once again, to underline the, the driving performance and outlook. That is, was also already in the press, nothing new about it, Polestar 5. Now really physical available with prototypes. People can drive it even. Our management drove it and they are very excited about it. It's a car based on kind of new platform, aluminum bounded structure, also focusing on an agile driving beha behavior, sportive driving behavior. Incredible power, 900 horsepower in this case, and we expect this car in customer hand by end of next year. And last but not least, Polestar 6, that is our roadster, also based on the precept concept, also aluminum bonded, a very nice design. What we can say, we made an introduction of concept cars in, uh, in Bumble Beach last year. Within one week, we got 500 orders. And you see the, the, the kind of success of this car then as well. The, the customer feedback is, is, is quite good. So actually, it's really an impressive journey, as you already said. It's really incredible to see how it develops. And actually, starting very much as a sports car, no? so with, with a lot of focus on design, and that continues, that definitely continues, and also focused on performance and sustainability and so on and so on. But also this sporty driving element that will always stay in the Polestar brand. Is that correct? Do I see that correctly? Absolutely. So we have uh, three elements, three main DNA elements in Polestar. And that is uh, design, that is uh, sustainability. So we have our Project Zero. And uh, maybe we can talk about this a little bit later. And it is uh, performance, and that is uh, particular dynamic uh, driving behavior. It's not more the, the zero to 100 performance. It is really the user experience when you drive the car actively by hand. Mm -hmm. And when you are talking about Polestar 6, so what is the timeline for that car then? 
It's scheduled for 2025 uh, in that range, uh, mid of 2025 currently. Uh, for this, we got also the orders. And any kind of smaller cars are not planned so far. And as we can look in the future, it's also not yeah, not planned in the in the future so far. No? Definitely, we have our cycle plan and there is more coming. There can be mm -hmm. even some uh, variants uh, out of existing platforms what we're having. These are not launched so far. Therefore, I'm not allowed mm -hmm. to talk about it. Okay, that's that's correct. We have to accept it. That's that's true. Then let's look again at the product portfolio, but with a slightly different focus. Let's focus now on the technical features, be it some kind of autonomous driving abilities or passive security or infotainment or connectivity. How is, was the evolution process there? So can you give a little bit more details on that? Yeah, and I already indicated Pulsar 3, first car with a centralized EE architecture. EE stands for electrical architecture and uh, And that enables us to separate hardware from software and to have a kind of base software available where we can evolve and can reuse for future platforms as well. So the ab ability to enhance software features is much easier and to reuse that once again. And the centralized architecture also enables a kind of redundancy, redundant uh, system, electrical system, what is required for some autonomous driving features. So that's the first version in Polestar 3 and also connected with the LiDAR system, what you also need to generate uh, redundant sensing, which is required and also to enable uh, more than L2 plus a capability for autonomous driving. And now let's look for the third time at the development of Polestar's product portfolio. But this time we have sustainability in the main focus. So how was the past there? And do you also have some examples or maybe also some relevant numbers that you could share there? Yeah, and uh, let's let's stick on, on our current pro program, what is in the market, Polestar 2. It's now almost two years. We started with a um, CO2 consumption value of roughly 27 uh, tons uh, CO2 per car. And uh, it's down now to 23. Well, that is what we achieved during more or less one year. And uh, there will be another two-digit number for, for actually uh, 2023. That is now the, the next communication that we are currently preparing. So we, we are preparing even our current pro programs to be more efficient on CO2 consumptions. And that is our target, let me say. That is uh, the first car. And this roadmap will be now uh, continued with our upcoming releases. We are particularly focusing now also to introduce alternative materials, particularly for interior, exterior, but also critical elements like the battery. There's a particular focus on. For this, we have a special project. And now we even adapted the organization That, uh, that we bring this really in a kind of operational execution and to make uh, constant progress on our CO2 footprint. That's very good that you mentioned particularly the battery technology because I would like to go a bit more in, in depth on that. Because, you know, electric vehicles are sometimes promoted as planet saver. No? So, but we all know that there's still a lot of talk about the problems associated with battery technologies and so on. So what is Poster's position on this? And what are you doing to improve battery efficiency, lithium extractions, and battery life and disposal, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? 
Yeah, we as Polsa, we are, we do not support the race of a maximum range by just increasing the power of the battery or the size of the battery. That is the wrong way. What we are believing is also supporting then our sustainable approach is downsizing. Yes, we are of course focusing also on energy density and working in our research activities on, on different uh, matters and with different partners to achieve that. But we are opening the question is, is, is 1000 kilometer for one battery range, is that really the target? Should we rather focus on charging performance, execute the charging process uh, quicker? And that is actually another focus point currently where we try to, to win with uh, some partners. Here we are currently cooperating quite successfully with some demonstrators with, with StoreDot. Uh, it's also not a secret. It's com communicated. The interim results looking quite promising. And the overall achievement then is, or our goal is basically then to downsize, save material, and to reduce material, and uh, and make it simply more efficient, make the car lighter, and that these are the overall goals. Those are actually very very good goals, and also like okay, not going not going for maximal range uh, enhancement and downsizing and collaborations, especially when you mentioned Stordot. I mean, to give to our audience a bit more of uh, background details there, Stordots they they stand technologically for super fast charging. So. Do you have some numbers that you are allowed to share, let's say, what you achieved so far? I know that they communicated also themselves, let's say, a lot of lab results and so on. So what is possible? So I heard something about like five minutes and then you have like, I do not remember the number again, 80 or 90 percent of charges and so on. So uh, could you give some numbers if you are allowed to, let's say, if yeah, the, that those is are already public? That is the officially communicated number, the charging process between uh, 10 and, and 90%. Achieved that exactly in, in five minutes, a range of 100 miles. And uh, that is the current status, but we are, we are really shooting for 10 to 90% charging in 10 minutes. And then we, of course, need to tailor the battery accordingly. These are currently our interim's goals for the first research, for the first step, and then there is more potential. Let's see, there will be happening a lot of activities uh, around the battery in the next uh, coming years. I'm really crossing the fingers for Polestar and Stordot collaboration because it sounds so exciting, but I mean, we, we all know now lab results, etc., are a little bit different than the reality looks like, but still, I hope that it will work out. But I want to address that in our community so that if somebody in the audience has something, some technologies that can help with that so that people go and reach out or go directly to you or reach out to us so that we make a connection and so on, so that some collaboration can arise on exactly those topics that are most important currently. No? So, I would definitely support that. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, has a, it has a certain value why, why we do this and why we emphasize always collaborations, collaboration and this kind of spirit of working together on something. And what is Polestar's strategy when it comes to battery recycling? I mean, we always look at the production side, but we have also to look what happens actually afterwards. No? So. Recycling is a an, is an very important factor and all uh, battery suppliers are working on that to get the ingredients back and uh, rather than to always focus on mining. But that is also the challenge. Currently, the resources for recycling are not there because the, the aging process are not uh, really so long ago. No? EVs are 
the numbers of EVs are not so high. The, currently, the, the supplier is actually asking how to get it back and asking the OEMs, please help us make some, some um, contracts accordingly that the, the backflow of the batteries is in a controlled manner to really recycle them in, in, in a structural way. That is an issue what we might solve with processes, but we are definitely supporting that. Recycling is, is one important element rather than to mining again. Do you have also some collaborations there that are public? Not official, but it's our partners, what we are definitely working with. Uh, and here in Sweden, you know that we that we have close connection with Northwall, for example, where we try to to establish those kind of processes needed to get it on a in a structural matter back. Yes, it's definitely beneficial for both sides so that they get also the feedback and yeah, also the materials and so on and so on. And actually, we go exactly now in this topic of collaborations. And you mentioned Volvo and, I mean, Posta, we have also to mention Geely. So for the topic of propulsion, if we concentrate on the topic of propulsion, could you please outline the collaboration between Geely, Volvo and Posta? And who is in charge technically in terms of solution delivery and not just by definition on paper? Yeah, definitely. And uh, we all belong to one family. And the family, of course, wants to be efficient not, and to prevent uh, redundant work. And on high level, there are strategic discussion who's doing what and uh, what the different brands are needed. And particular for, for the propulsion system, we as, as Polsa stand for performance and uh, sustainable. And we try to, to, to place those topics and to occupy those topics for the company. For example, the EDU, the electrical drive unit, you know, the e-motor. Uh, we as Polsa are shooting for for a kind of bigger variant supporting this uh, performance thinking. But you want to do this for the group. We occupy this area of development and develop this then potentially for, for other interested parties as well to guarantee the volume. You know, we don't want to do this only for Polestar, maybe as a technical start to get the technology uh, industrialized and to launch it in the car. But then we are open to share with other partners as well, like, like Lotus or Zika. And similar with the, with the battery, currently we are particular pushing sustainability, alternative materials, and also peak performance. And, and here we are focusing then our research activities to generate together with the supplier then the needed uh, battery cell for our cars. And this will be then also deployed and, and uh, multiplied then in, in, the, in the Geely world. Very, very smart strategy. And especially, I mean, as a smaller player, it's always good to have bigger partners on your side and yeah, to collaborate on that. And uh, what I also like very much about the poster brand, so how transparently you are about this power of collaboration. You are calling on the whole industry to collaborate, to become carbon neutral. And I think, at least I expect that there might be some limits on this as well. So I put it in another way. So can one or should one collaborate with competitors? And if so, what should be taken into account? I mean, where does it start? Where does it end? Definitely. And it is, you, you, you can imagine develop a new technology to develop and uh, run the industrialization. There is a huge investment behind. And you said this already, we are not the biggest band, not yet. We have some ambitions yeah, to grow, of course, but not yet. And therefore, we are always looking for a kind of partnerships. 
but also with regard to partnerships with third parties, no? with co even with competitors. No? We, we got requests from some sport brands in UK, whatever, maybe they see some for, for some collaboration. It's just a matter how we set the contracts and who is the IP owner, who pays a license uh, fee for whatever. There, from from business point of view, there are no limits, let me say, with regard to collaboration. We always find a way if there is some outlook for a win-win situation. Can that be sometimes a challenge when you're thinking, let's say, about the IPOs, etc., etc., et so the, all these decisions, who is actually paying the fees and so on? Is that a little bit of a challenge? You need to really assess what you want to share, what do you want to share. But mostly, when we are talking about the aluminum bonded strategy that is one platform which made a lot of effort to develop that but it is basically a known technology but if if that vehicle platform matching another customer another oem or even a competitors match and we find a commercial agreement that they use the base technology we are open to share but we make a case-by-case -case assessment of course Another example is our Project Zero with sustainability, where we are currently generating a lot of IP, new ideas to using alternative materials. And as you said, you are definitely proactively inviting external part partners to use it as well. To, it doesn't make sense that only Polestar reach the, the CO2-neutral status. We want to have the industry behind it. And therefore, we are actively open that. And I guess also there, your very transparent approach is actually working well so that the people also give you the transparency back as well. Yeah. And now... I know that you are not allowed to uh, name anything specific and I will absolutely respect that in every way. So therefore I'm asking in a very, very diplomatic way. So you're working on something that has the potential to disrupt the industry. I use even the word disrupt, even I, I don't like it because it's overused. So will it be then the Polestar in-house only development or would you still try to bring partners in there as well? It depends once again. With regard to sustainability, we just discussed it. Yes, we want to share because we have one uh, mission, let me say, what we want to share with partners, with suppliers, with competitors as well. You would share. When it comes to, for example, a really disruptive idea regarding charging performance, uh, that is a question mark, Yeah, how open that might be because that would uh, give us a USP. For, for, for Polestar. And if they, we want to share this, here we need to think twice, no, let me say. So it's definitely case by case. When we are talking about process optimization to generally generate a higher gross margin of our uh, product, how to develop things and how to link this into production, that is also Polestar know-how and IP, I would say, what we, not, what we want not to share because that brings us a certain advantage in, with regard to cost and that is, would be not uh, very smart to share this then with other OEMs as well. Actually, now I have a huge advantage and actually also Steve, who is joining this, let's say behind the scenes, because we see you, you know, and when you say like, we would have an USB or we will have a benefit, etc., you smiled, you know, <laughs> so there's something in the background. I'm not going to ask anything. I just hope you have something that will bring the industry forward and that will give you an USB for Polestar. So fingers crossed. <laughs> so actually, let's continue to talk about the collaboration. Actually, we have... Another big topic in the automotive industry that should be mentioned in the same breath as collaboration because no one will be able to handle it alone. And it is autonomous driving. 
So autonomous driving has certainly followed the infamous hype cycle of emerging technologies. Will it really make it past the low point of disillusionment? And if so, what innovations or what partnerships, but also maybe what kind of regulatory framework are needed to make it reality now? Yeah, we as Polsa, we have a clear position on that. As already indicated, we, we stand for fun to drive. Yeah? And to have a complete autonomous driving car, like a robo-taxi, does not make sense for Polestar. So we want to invite the customers to drive actively, but not everywhere. So, and that is also maybe also the staggered introduction. Currently, what I definitely see is we need to, to offer functions on the highway. No? That supports the drivers. You can just turn it on and then lay back, you can drive. That is a kind of L4 preparation where we are also on. I already indicated the required EE architecture for that, which is already in Polestar 3 or what will be launched now very, very soon to the customer. That will be supported. So the technology backbone is there. Where we still need to cooperate is with the legislations. There is also a kind of staggered introduction plan, for, for example, in UK, California. You have then first a certain um, a speed where you allow this, and then over the year it will be expanded in similar in other countries as well. And we are following these, these legal requirements with our technology in the car. And that is also actually what you can easily then update with software, in this case, with over-the-air flash, enabling then uh, certain functionalities and gives you then, if the hardware is available in the car, then the, the capability to drive your car or let your car uh, be driven autonomously. Actually, when you mentioned the hardware in the car, and I, I know your CV, I know your background, so that you were very much responsible for electronics, so power electronics and so on and so on. So basically, will the hardware be able to keep pace with the development of the software? What is your opinion on that? There's not, not a question. Uh, I, I see that definitely. They must, must keep, keep pace. But the evolution, particularly on the microchips, is, it's quite outstanding. What you will see is you have usually a lifetime of a car of roughly eight, eight years, then uh, seven or eight years, then a successor will be introduced of, of a model. And in, in this seven or eight years, it is very likely that you see another generation of microprocessor. But that is always then the question, which additional features are required or do you want to introduce? And in most cases, you can even stay with this uh, microprocessor over lifetime. But in certain uh, conditions, particularly now in this quite moving uh, quite fast-moving topic with connectivity or levels of autonomous driving that might be required to update hardware as well, at least once in a car, in a car life, life cycle. Yeah, that's good to know. I mean, it sounds also quite realistic, you know, because that can be also outdated quite fast if development of the chips, let's say, is uh, advancing so fast. No? So. And now we continue with the topic of innovation. So I would like to know how risk averse are you when it comes to innovations? Are they really sometimes some innovations that are too innovative? Or are some of the resources invested in very risky and bold projects on purpose? Currently, since we are a startup and our budget is also, let me say, limited, we try to be very focused on that what we, where we uh, spend our, our budget for research activities. And uh, currently, because that is where we need to deliver, is on all, 
all kinds of materials regarding sustainability, regarding our Project Zero. That is one focus point. And we want to make this really happen then. If in case we have a kind of a partnership with somebody, we selected them very carefully. We try to get really the experts on a, on a particular topic and also with a, a kind of self-motivation that they bring a topic forward actively together with us. Therefore, we try to be very specific and selective on our topics where we, where we made effort with regard to research. That is on materials and also on, as I said, on, on charging. Another element where we where we currently making effort to, to reach our goals to reduce battery size again and to improve uh, charging performance and, and to have this then basically deployed. And then it can be even a big benefit for you. So let's say that you have to stay focused and you will stay focused and you have first to make the solutions effective and efficient and practical also in the production. No? Yeah. And then you can, let's say, go and explore further projects. How do you make this kind of decision? So how do you decide when you do something no one else is doing? So how do you justify or how do you measure the needs? So via big data, so customer feedback or just going for it? Also, how do you measure its success afterwards? So some models are revenue-driven, while others are just features, let's call it like this. So that add a value or incentive for someone to buy vehicles, but most OEMs don't have a strong understanding. So was it really a decision maker? So do you see that differently? And how do you approach that there? Yeah, it is it's a kind of process, definitely. And our general mission is to, to, to stay focused, focused on your research activities. Do not invest everywhere. And uh, you need to understand your DNA and where you as a brand wants to be accepted and wants to be known. And these DNA, these focus points, what I said at the beginning is this design, this performance. These topics will be then used then also for decision making of research activities to guarantee success. Basically, of course, we want to bring it into production. And it is uh, these research activities always end with a kind of proof of concept. Yeah, you have an idea, you have a partner, you have then maybe own in internal resources, you plan the activities and you plan your interim's goal with a proof of concept. And when this is successful, you go into a more expensive phase of industrialization and talk with your vehicle uh, chief engineers when, when this might be then available really for the car and for the market. And success factors, of course, that is a typical R&D measure, how to uh, measure efficiency of your organization. That is time to market, for example. That is really from an idea to customer availability and to have this as fast as possible. Uh, that is one KPI for R&D, for example. <laughs> and uh, with regard to business case calculation, Of course, you need to interact with your sales organization, with your marketing organization. If you do not have only a fancy idea generated by some engineers, yeah, but cannot never be sold, these interactions need to happen then also with the sales organization that you can really make customer experience, which is accepted finally. And when you get customer feedback, do you also make that sometimes into follow-up projects on that? Does it happen as well? So that some kind of uh, customer feedback went into new projects because there were some wishes to improve and yeah definitely definitely for example 
a climate functions uh, for, for dogs in the car. Yeah, when you stand your car, or that this is noticed, and that the climate will directly adjust to a certain temperature, even if you left the car. Those features are always on the table, and we have an active communication with our customer through them boards, and uh, we are quite active to to check this re regularly and and try to improve. I mean, we already mentioned several times, and you mentioned that I mentioned that uh, you are a relatively small player. You want to stay in that startup size for now. Even you mentioned you have some ambitious on that in the future, but they are definitely larger OEMs and they have more money for innovations. You mentioned already that by focusing, you will try, let's say, to compete with that. But what else do you do, let's say, to compete for differentiation in this environment of innovations? Yeah, I do not need to repeat that again to be focused, of course, that is, but that is really an opportunity where you can also narrow your budget or can can work with your available budget on, on resources, resources, focus on the DNA, on your DNA and in particular working on that. But we are also cooperating, cooperating with governments even and currently focusing on, on sustainability, it's the right time to talk about it. And we always try to achieve that win-win situation. No? We, we're currently working on a project, bringing a lot of partners in. Governments currently are interested to deploy these measures in their countries as well. And there might be even external funding opportunities, what we try to incorporate then in our activities as well to increasing our execution uh, power on, on research activities as well. By the way, it might be different in Sweden, but when I think about governments, okay, and you have your startup speed, even when we compare, let's say, corporate speed and startup speed, you're much faster. And when we then compare, let's say, bring in the governments, I would say they're even slower than the corporate speed. So do you have that different experience in Sweden? <laughs> Definitely. And it's not only Sweden. We are in discussion with many governments, let me say, and it's actually not so slow. If the, mm -hmm. if the uh, mission is understood, the decision making might be also quite quick. Okay. That's, that sounds promising. You mentioned already that all the departments have to communicate with each other. And it's not enough if, let's say, the R&D has the technical solution for something, but you cannot market that and no one can sell it. No? So, And now we have the transition from innovation to production, which might be tricky, with typically two big obstacles. No? Marketing meaning, for example, will this drive sales? And the second obstacle is robustness. So how do you navigate that tricky transition from innovation to production? Yeah. Uh, you need to sell your feature and uh, the customer is our internal customer is marketing and sales as you as already indicated and this collaboration needs to happen uh, upfront and that is supported by our process we do not want to make R&D internally, we do not want to make an, an own decision about a feature. We always are looking for the dialogue and looking for an hand, open hand, who use that function finally. And this dialogue is incorporated in our process, decision-making process, uh, with a kind of business case calculation. Does, is it worse to develop this feature? What can we do with that? That will be done with, uh, with the named partners. And to guarantee uh, the quality, I indicate this as well, we have a kind of advanced engineering process. It's also nothing super new, ended with a proof of concept. And with this proof of concept, we should have at least an indication, yes, this idea 
can be realized, and that is the uh, that is the idea for industrialization. And and with this, we go then into the vehicle programs. So that is a kind of uh, quality assurance process to really have it then available for the market. Let me understand the internal processes. So, for example, if somebody in the R and D department, let's say on the engineering level, would have some ideas, maybe already some tests, etc., so that look promising, they need first to sell the idea to you and then you go and sell that idea to then, when I understand it correctly, to marketing, let's say. No? So is that correct? Yeah, we do that together. Yeah, but even a little bit earlier, when we have the idea itself, we want to discuss with marketing how we can place that idea in our, in our product portfolio before we start the research activities. Yeah, so that is really happening quite early before we start, before we invest anything. And uh, when there's an acceptance about an idea, then we go into this proof of concept phase. With this, we have a double check with the vehicle side again, which vehicle might be then finally using that and plan the industrialization and the real development of the feature. I guess what's also helping there, because I remember from the most recent panel that we did, you said also you are a fan of decentralized power, let's say, in the company. So then it's also easier to collaborate, to communicate internally. I guess it's also a huge benefit on that, no? Yes. So let's talk a bit more about the software side. So the over-the-air updates uh, prevent both an enabler and cautionary tale for safety and reliability. One can always say, okay, well, we can always fix the innovations later, right? So how does Poster view that? So how do you plan to get the right mix there? Yeah, we are, I think uh, it's, we need to have our competitors and we have our competitor cars. What will not work is if we are launching a car with significant less content and features in the market with our competitors. So we need to, to have the right level of user excitement to be able to launch the car. Therefore, we need to have a, a certain status quo of available feature during the launch. And then you need to prepare your organization and your, your architecture to evolve on that, to introduce additional features. And for this, you usually have a roadmap over the, the next three years, which features might come when we call it cycle plan and able to have a faster introduction when it comes from third-party features when we're talking about software for example software apps uh, app introduction into the car which is already available there are hundreds of organizations working on on apps for cars currently and there's a really intensive dialogue what might be fitting into a car and what might be a nice user experience and this is, is a good good development actually but the prerequisite to have a fast introduction is also that you have an have a release organization a software organization who can support that and still can quality proof and and enable a fast introduction in the car and that is currently where we are also working on basically on a kind of software organization we just started now with a new uh, software head in our organization and uh, also reorganize, shift a little bit to establish a pure software organization, enabling fast introduction of, of features. And actually, you also mentioned all the apps or all the companies that are working on the apps for automotive uh, part. And uh, does it mean also that you get a lot of pitches per, I don't know, week or months, let's say, so that a lot of people trying to sell you ideas and yeah, how it should look like in your next poster? That definitely. Is that true? 
Definitely, yeah. But fortunately, in the meantime, we have a certain magnitude of our organization that I, that I'm not only the one who need to assess the ideas. So we have a kind of uh, inlet panel for ideas uh, where we can then quickly decide, okay, that's worth to have another another discussion about it. And that might be matching with our general Pulsar product. What in general, let's say, when we're talking just about software, just about apps, what it needs to be there so that it catches your attention and say like, wow, it has potential. What it, What is it? It's always, is it something new? Yeah. Is it something what matches to Polestar? And uh, yeah, basically it's it's the idea itself, the pitch itself, yeah, how it is presented then and the assessment about potential success and acceptance by the customer. And actually when you mentioned like it needs to match, so just my little advice for all the people that are presenting, so like the design of the app must be like high level design. <laughs> I mean, otherwise, yes. I mean, look, look just at your website. I mean, it's, it's, it's pure. It's, it's amazing. I mean, it, it really matches how the car are presented and how everything is done. And I mean, even how the people are presented on LinkedIn, even the profile pictures, you know, like all is kind of conformed and pure. And I, I mean, people notice that, you know, the outside world, let's say, or I pay attention to these kind of things. And I guess a lot of people pay attention to this kind of things. So it must be matching. <laughs> yeah, it, and actually, that's true. And now we come to the last part of our panel. So Jörg, you already know that we always have this tradition in this podcast from the recent panel, because you already answered a couple of questions that were more related to life wisdom. Today, we have a few more questions about leadership, about productivity and about motivation. So, and we start with motivation. So being CTO of an innovative and as we said, ambitious OEM is a job that demands far more than 100% of your time, of your energy, of your resources. Jörg, what motivates you personally to get up in the morning and keep going full steam ahead? Yeah, that is uh, really Automated, let me say. That is the speed of Polestar currently. <laughs> and that keeps me running as well. I try always to be an important element in the speed make making. Yeah? And therefore, I also want to be first in the office. <laughs> therefore, is, that is already a big motivator. That is the speed of Polestar and the opportunity to influence with the role. And uh, everybody has really opportunity to bring ideas in to be present and to, to speak up in this culture is already motivating, let me say. And that is also underlined with surveys in Sweden with regard to attractiveness of, of employ employers. And, and we are really quite, quite high level. And I can uh, underline that it is really happening. That is a motivation uh, factor. And... Uh, And the team itself is is definitely motivated, and they're looking for somebody who's who's really uh, showcased that motivation as well. That is another motivation by myself to to really drive activities actively and work with the team team together. And actually, you know, I always say like, okay, one can fake actually a lot of things, but energy cannot be faked. No, that's that has to be there. Otherwise, people feel that something is off, actually. But it's actually a lot of pressure. I mean, does it also fit your nature? So are you a morning person? So to be there the first one in the office, does it fit? Yeah, it, it matches pretty well, actually, definitely. Yeah, so my time is usually uh, 
five o'clock around, 5.30, and then have uh, a tea, not in a kind of panning mode, directly in the morning. Yeah, have your time in the morning, settle, and then go go to your tasks. Yeah, exactly. Panic mode is anyway not good. I mean, maybe for a short time, like with working with adrenaline might be okay, but cannot be like at the at the standard level. So, Jorgen, look at also at your CV. I mean, you seem to be a very productive person. Let's call it like this. So, um, what are your tips and tricks for being highly productive? And more specifically, what do you do when you have maybe also a bad performance day? I just guess that everyone has sometimes maybe like it's human nature to have a bad performance day. Yeah. Maybe not surprise me. <laughs> sure. And that would, would be not human if you don't have that. But first to do the first part of the question then. And I think it's quite essential that you understand that you that that you are not alone, and and you can realize everything by yourself. You need your team. One thing is also to to share that experience in development and bring motivation in your team. And and how can you do that? It is basically to tell the story, what you want to achieve, and empower people. Empowerment is also implicitly also motivation give responsibility to your whole organization and and that is basically to to establish this this frame and uh, to also s maybe distribute responsibility that if you have a bad day that this will be comp compensated by your team partially and that is my philosophy a little bit and if you have really a bad day what will happen definitely i'm an open person for constant learning yeah and take that again take it positively the mess what you produced maybe and and learn out of this and adapt and do it next time better yeah this learning thinking and 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 deployment in your own working style i think that is uh, what what i what i try to live day by day that needs a lot of self-awareness to step back to see their own work to assess that to have the key learnings and then keep on improving the next day a lot of self-awareness so and when you look back at the beginning of your journey as a leader so what was your leadership style like and at the very beginning when you just start to have people let's say in team and how has it involved Yeah, what what was uh, when you start from a team leader and then you you grow up into other roles, uh, you are usually start with a focus on your role on R and D, for example, on one particular topic, and uh, what you are missing is then the business scope at all. Yeah, can can this idea be efficiently sold afterwards? What can we generate it? I think what what usually happened in a kind of career is that you widen your scope and also understand then the other side, the one who sells your idea and your partners internally and externally. So this constant scope um, extension, I think that is quite uh, important to have that development, personal development. And I think that happened was a natural thing that happened with me as well. So basically, you widened your view then on the organization itself. So and yeah, seeing also some points, how maybe also departments between departments could collaborate or how it can be solved, etc., etc. So more in that way, no? Exactly. Okay. And what were the particular mistakes that you made at the beginning as a leader? So and what helped you to become better? Is there is Are there maybe also some kind of stories that you would like to share also, some examples, let's say, to make it more tangible? 
Yeah, once again, that is the reason why I mentioned that at the beginning to to be too focused on your R and D idea. Yeah, that you might be technical perfect, but on the other side, too expensive, maybe too complex to realize, and even too complex to realize in manufacturing. Uh, that was definitely you know, when you are eager to realize that you are pushing that, and and sometimes uh, it's better to also understand the other side. And yeah, here at the beginning, there there are for sure some, some some examples where I might be too pushy for realizing something, and finally, the needed profit uh, or the user experience was not uh, realized. No? Not hopefully too many yeah, of them, but some some might be the case. And but that that is also then directly linked to how how can that be improved? And many organizations are working uh, with with their staff on that, uh, particular when when they develop people. And it is always to to enable a kind of rotation system that you do not stick too long on your current position. That you rotate. That you take on maybe a position from your current partner that you have a constant scope enhancement and that you understand and develop the whole picture of your of, of an enterprise, how how they are working, understand the influences and, and basically the impact of, of a kind of decision. These constant personal development by widening scope and by changing roles, I think that was was kind of the win factor to enable then also learning. Those are a lot of years of experience of technical side, but also leadership side. And it's really amazing to see all this kind of life wisdom that you extract from all those years. It's really inspiring that you took the time to share again with us, let's say, talking about the technical development, talking about the POSA portfolio talking about the challenges very transparently, talking about collaborations, innovations, all these kind of approaches that you do at Polster and always keeping in mind, okay, what is really important for Polster? Sustainability, design, performance. I have so much sympathy for this brand. I make it really open, <laughs> super public. So lots of success on your way. So lots of uh, success for all the especially sustainable goals that you have. Exactly, the Poster Zero project. I wish you so much luck and success with that. So may it really go well and even better than you maybe imagined. Ludmila, thanks a lot for the invitation. It was it's, it's, uh, always a pleasure. I followed now a, a couple of your podcasts and it's always uh, exciting to listen to that. Thanks a lot for the invitation. It was uh, really nice again. And let's see, uh, maybe find another one in Polestar who report about it. We have many things to tell and we have still a long roadmap in front of us. There are many ways to achieve a more sustainable future. There are many companies and innovative leaders who choose and actively go very different ways. Let's just not forget one thing. No matter how different the ways are, the big goal is one and the same. See you very soon in the next episode. <music>